0: You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Penny Chris Hetherton, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association.
1: Our topic today on Lipid Luminations is lipids and hormone therapy, and our guest is Dr. Janet Maxson, nurse practitioner and PhD, who did her doctoral research in cardiovascular disease, risks, and a menopausal woman, and today specializes in the management of lipids in women who are pre- and post-events that have hormone issues in their medical history. She works in a clinic in Minot, North Dakota. So, Janet, thank you so much for agreeing to talk about this commonly misunderstood topic.
0: Thank you very much, Alan. I'm delighted to be here.
1: So, obviously, there's been some controversies about hormone replacement therapy, and patients come to me all the time saying, you know, should I or shouldn't I go on HRT, because they've obviously heard about the results of the HERS trial suggesting that at least women with atherosclerosis might have higher event rate if they go on hormone replacement. So, can you take us through a little bit of the current thinking regarding hormone replacement therapy and, and which type of patient should it be recommended?
0: The biggest thing and the things that I see that are challenging the patients that come into the clinic are if they're right in that perimenopausal stage where they're having abnormal bleeding patterns and they've just had a cabbage done. So there's that type of hormone regulation at the end of the reproductive cycle and the complexities of managing their lipids since they've already had their um, cabbage. And then the other ones are post stint that are already post menopause and they're done through the bleeding patterns and they've got the lipid abnormalities. And they're still miserable because their quality of life, because they're not sleeping at night, they're having the sweats, their quality of life has really gone down. And it is really fun and a challenge to be able to help these women to gain some control over sleep patterns and feel comfortable because they're all pretty anxious after they've come out of a procedure on what they need to do and what they've heard in the media as opposed to what's going on in in their lives.
1: Yeah, so that is the challenge. A lot of times they're very symptomatic. They're concerned if they've got established heart disease. But of course, the lay press doesn't always separate out women who don't have heart disease versus who do. So a little variation from the types of patients that were in the HERS trial. So if somebody is very symptomatic and they read conflicting things about the benefit of hormonal replacement... What should we recommend, and does it make a difference whether the woman needs both estrogen and progesterone or if they've had a hysterectomy and only need estrogen?
0: Well, the trials that have been coming out for the over two decades that I've been doing this do have a big impact. And back in the 90s, when we really weren't using statins to the guidelines, I would put somebody on plain unimposed primer, and I could bring an LDL from 196 to about 129. Well, as you well know, these wonderful endpoints in the WHI trial and and other trials that have come out say, we can't do that anymore. We should first um, stabilize and get their lipid profiles to the current ATP guidelines. And then after that, if they need to have hormone therapy, then we initiate hormone therapy.
1: And what should women worry about or not worry about regarding the potential side effects? How do you counsel them? And is there a difference between those who need both estrogen and progesterone, or unopposed estrogen, in terms of how you might counsel a patient?
0: Okay, first, who needs estrogen? Who needs progesterone? If they have a uterus, they have to balance out the estrogen and the progesterone, because back in some of those earlier trials, we gave the women the uterine cancers, the hyperplasia, because we gave them unopposed estrogen. So nowadays, we it's a little more of a challenge, always, the estrogen-progesterone people, because of the bleeding problems, Were As the people who don't have a uterus doing unopposed estrogen, we don't have to be concerned. And as you know, just plain estrogen has a better and an improved impact on raising those HDLs and dropping the LDLs than when we put the progesterone in.
1: And do you think maybe the disappointing results in the HERS trial for women who had established coronary disease was related to the concomitant progesterone or do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Well I think that the study and, and if you read the Cochrane report afterwards, because women's biggest fear still is not heart disease, it's still breast cancer, they came out saying it's it's neutral. Some of the problems in the past, people going into those studies, they didn't even have pre up to date mammograms when they were entered in the studies and then they started doing the mammograms afterwards and then they found some of the breast cancers. So that gave the false, you know, endpoints that you know the breast cancer was an immediate thing. As we all know, it's been there for years and years before it's even found on mammograms. So I think once you get past that and explain to them, you know, some of the other things on estrogen that we know, and, you know, say to women, I said, we should all be dead about 50 at menopause if estrogen was so bad. We should either have breast cancer or had a heart attack or a stroke. The estrogen, once it goes out of our system and those, those levels decline, you have that decrease also nitric oxide, The estrogen is a wonderful vasodilator, like five-time impact of increasing that nitric oxide, which is so protective to the endothelial wall. And some of the previous studies in those older women who were so long post-menopause, they had been without estrogen for so long, so their endothelial walls are much more damaged than the women who are younger, and we start on hormones at at an earlier age.
1: So when you're counseling women, is there any role for using estrogen and progesterone or just unopposed estrogen in a woman who's had a hysterectomy for prevention of cardiovascular events or is the primary role for relief of all those symptoms that you discussed at the beginning of the interview?
0: Well, the FDA said basically we should only be using hormones for the osteoporosis and for symptom control. We can't do it anymore for cardiovascular prevention. And that's what I do now in my practice. I do get their lipids to the guidelines, and then after that, I use both estrogen plain or estrogen-progesterone combinations, depending on with or without uterus. I think since the WHI and some of the studies have come out, I've definitely gone more to the topical products rather than the oral because we don't have to worry about going through the liver and the, you know, hepatic licepate issue. Because as women get older, triglycerides are so much more of an issue. Once you get postmenopause and that estrogen level goes down naturally, you see that increase in the triglycerides because once estrogen goes away, the triglycerides go up because insulin and estrogen work together. You are much more insulin sensitive with estrogen on board and once your estrogen goes, you get much more insulin
1: resistance. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss lipids and hormone therapy is our guest, Dr. Janet Maxson, nurse practitioner and PhD, who specializes in the management of lipids in women pre- and post-events that have hormone issues through the, her clinic in Minot, North Dakota. So, Janet, you touched a little bit on topical estrogen. The issue there is avoiding high triglycerides. I see several patients referred to lipid clinics who have high triglycerides and high HDL who are on estrogen therapy. So is there a triglyceride threshold where you'll say, I'm not going to tolerate this and we'll switch them over to transdermal estrogen? or Do you reserve that primarily for people with significantly elevated triglycerides?
0: I follow the guidelines. You know, anytime they're elevated and they're on an oral um, estrogen agent, and that's the young girls on birth control pills also, I will switch them over to a topical.
1: From the standpoint of osteoporosis and their symptoms, any issues with topical versus oral, or are they equally effective?
0: No, we still get good protection on, on the bone protection. As far as lipid parameters, we don't get quite that bump up in the HDL on the topical as we do on the oral, and we don't get that decrease in the LDL on the topicals like we do the oral going through that that first pass through the liver. But then the trade-around part of that is the triglycerides are, are so much better if we take them off the oral and put them on the topical. And the curse of women that I see daily is the menopot, and they do gain more weight once they lose the estrogen because the gluteofemoral fat pad, you know, the lower fat pad through the buttocks is much more active before menopause and then at menopause, those fat pads actually move into that visceral area.
1: So you mentioned that the loss of insulin aggravates insulin resistance.
0: When the estrogen levels go down, you lose the insulin sensitivity. So insulin resistance goes up as the estrogen level goes down and that's the same thing with pregnancy also.
1: Now what other risk factors are affected by estrogen therapy? I know that you're interested in some of the effects with hypertension. Can you tell us about that?
0: They say that 95% of us get hypertension as we age, and it's not because we live with men. I always reassure them that (laughs) the estrogen levels go down, and estrogen is a very potent blocker of renin. So once those estrogen levels are gone, that potent renin as a vasoconstrictor, that, that hypertensive pathway totally goes up. So the longer they're postmenopause, less estrogen blocking of the renin system, so up, up, up goes that blood pressure. That's why in women, both the ACE and the ARBs work so excellent for that hypertension to improve that renin pathway because their estrogen is gone. And I don't always use definitely a beta blocker right off the bat or a diuretic because the diuretics, number one, bladder is usually an issue in those women. And as we know from the hat study that you probably get some more insulin resistance the higher you go on the hydrochlorothiazide level. And it was the Camelot study that showed us, you know, on those early beta blockers, how that is a disadvantage to the lipid profile.
1: Right. The ones that seem not to aggravate insulin resistance are just the carvedilol and the Mm-hmm. Correct. The others all seem to be able to do it. So let's talk about the PEPI study and the effect on lipid levels. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: What you're looking at is the PEPI study was a huge study, and I think when that came out and we were doing lecturing on it at that time and then the WHI came right after that, they threw the baby in the bathwater out because the PEPI study did show us you know, the improvement with hormones and improvement on the lipid profile except the triglycerides. But even when the WHI came out and the peppy was out, there was that confusion because we weren't as aggressive on triglycerides back in '02 when the WHI was released as we are now. And that's just all the great research and the guidelines, how they've developed that now we are very hard on triglyceride levels. And of course, when they're over 500, we'll go after the triglycerides first with the medications as, you know, before we'd always just right away start our statins. So the endpoints are basically what you're looking at, and I think what you see in women in the study group of the women that they had, some of them, you know, they had hypertension uncontrolled, they had lipids uncontrolled, they had all those vascular problems going on that weren't controlled, and you have to look at that when you come to what's happening in the endpoints. I'd like to make a comment, Ellen, we hadn't talked about this, but I want to talk a little bit about LP little a because I think we're going to hear more of this on women. Because another thing when the estrogen levels go down, your LP little a goes up immensely. And the only medicines that will bring down LP little a is your estrogens as well as your, your niacin. And LP little a is very, very strong in that atherosclerotic process as well as the thrombolytic process. And I think in those postmenopausal women in some of those previous studies, the fact that the LP little a issue infecting both foam cells and lipolysis of, of blood clots is going to end up being an issue where we worried about some of those clotting factors and the clotting cascade independently of what was happening also on the lipid problems.
1: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess my recollection was they would looked at some of those trials in terms of what treatment patients were on, and of course, when you go back and look at a study retrospectively, you're likely to find something just by chance, and they certainly sliced and diced the HERS trial. But my recollection was that the subgroup of patients who were taking statins, which of course is our mainstay of treatment just to for patients with high-elevated LpA is to get their LDL lower. Uh, My recollection was that subgroup on statins actually did not have a higher event rate. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, the event rate was down. And, you know, in a lot of states, WHI, ERA, those women had more events the first year because they had lots of unstable plaque. And once you put on estrogen, that wonderful nitric oxide effect, so they got that wonderful vasodilation, so they had unstable plaque that ruptured. The second year, W-H-I-E-R-A, guess what? They had all had reduction in events, too.
1: Janet, thank you so much for being our guest this week and for your excellent advice on lipid luminations.
0: Thank you very much, Alan. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more
1: information, visit www.lipid.org.